Hi everyone, in this video I'm going to be talking about my prediction on what house price capital growth percentage will be by the end of 2021. So right now in 2021, I'm going to use some data to predict what the capital growth prediction or percentage growth will be for the FY, not the FY, the calendar year 21. Okay, and like I can't predict the future, but I'm going to be sharing some amazing data points and some factors that you need to know so you can make a decision of whether you should be investing in this market or not. Do you want to achieve wealth and passive income through property investing? PK Gupta, host of Oz Property Investment Mastery, will help you achieve passive income by buying top 5% growth and positive cash flow property and building a portfolio using data without you wasting months of time doing research, spending weekends at inspections, or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents each time. So if you are confused and overwhelmed by the amount of contradictory information available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. All right, so house prices. Are we in a boom? Are we in a bubble? Are we in a bust? What will they do? Are they about to tank? Will they continue going up? How much will they go up if they bust? How much will they come down? These are all the things that you guys are thinking. I've already done two videos on this specific subject. Go back and watch them if you haven't already. Um, I'll link them as well and they will give you a lot of insight. But here in this video, we're gonna be going very, very specific. All right, we're gonna be going very, very specific. Hardly anyone really puts their reputation on the line to actually predict what the, what the housing market will do. But that's exactly what I'm gonna do. And it's not my opinion. My opinion matters nothing at all. I'm gonna be sharing you a data-driven uh, way of drawing an inference of what capital growth will actually do because you guys are listening to your friends you guys are listening to your buddies your colleagues you know they're probably none of them are probably financially independent probably none of them have a decent passive income and a lot of times you know you want to invest in property you want to grow a portfolio but you get all this noise all right you get all this noise from the media from your friends your um your devil's mind just sort of saying, oh, look, you know, this is the worst time to invest. You should wait till the market corrects itself. You should wait till property pr prices come crashing down, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm obviously very self-interested in telling you that property prices won't crash, but that is indeed what will not happen. They will not crash. Now, let me prove it to you today. All right, so let, let's get into it. So, look, we all know that the housing market right now uh, is driven, and I'm I'm kind of referring to my notes as well. All my videos, I, I make notes so I can give you some some pretty specific advice. Um, the current market is driven by you know cheap money, by easy finance, by you know government intervention. There's there's lots of incentives out there and, and things like that. And I've already covered on the previous video how this boom is led by owner occupiers. It's led by people like first home buyers, like upgraders, as opposed to investors. Investors are now slowly coming into the market, but the lion's share, more than 80% of all buying has been done by owner occupiers. So, you know, when all of this is happening, house prices have been rising. So they've already risen by like 10% on average um, in the last 12 months, you know, when everyone was, you know, kind of putting a blanket over their heads thinking that COVID is going to be the end of the world. Basically, in May last year is when prices started to go up a lot. So the question that I get asked a lot by all of you on YouTube, by my community on Facebook, everyone, is that 
Will this price growth continue? And if so, like how much? Is it going to go up another 10%, another 20%? What, what's going to happen? So I've basically, what I've done, and I've drawn inspiration from a, a few different data sources, but I've kind of boiled the essence of this video into two data factors. The first data factor is price growth, housing price growth. All right, so everyone knows that. The second data factor is housing finance okay housing finance no one really buys a house in this day and age without getting a loan so housing finance or the ability or the appetite for people to get finance or the policies or the appetite for lenders to provide finance you know as and when regulated by government bodies or APRA etc it's this lending game that really shifts the dial that really helps us predict what house prices will do it's incredibly important like people think it's about population people think it's about infrastructure people think it's about migration people think it's about unemployment if population was booming if uh, immigration was booming if infrastructure was booming if employment was booming but housing finance was soft in other words, it's hard for people to get a loan because of bank policies, because of the Australian Prudential Regulator um, Authority policies, because of government intervention. Then even if those four positive things were going through the roof, house prices won't rise. And that's exactly what happened in 2017 when Sydney, Melbourne especially saw a correction of about 10% those house prices would have continued to go up, but it's housing finance that shrunk up, okay? It's housing finance that shrunk up. I just thought of this analogy, and it's kind of weird, so stick with me. It's like if you have a sponge, right, like a kitchen sponge, right? So think of think of housing finance as water. If you've got a, like, two-day-old kitchen sponge on your kitchen and there's no water in it, it's, like, all dried up, that is what you know, is the relationship between housing finance to house prices. Housing finance is water. You know, you put the sponge on water and it balloons up, it blows up, it, you know, expands. House prices expand. You know, and even if you have the best sponge, even if you have the best kitchen, you've got your European appliances, if you don't have water, the sponge is not going to expand. Sponge is house prices, water is housing finance, all right? So I'm always doing these weird analogies. Sorry about that, guys. So I'm going to look at a... Uh, a chart right here in front of me right now that I've developed. Um, so what this chart um, correlates is housing finance all the way from 2002 to um, house price rises. So what you, we saw in, so I'm, I'll go through some key periods just to help you understand that there is actually a correlation. So in 2008, right in the middle of the GFC, you know, it was called a credit crunch. In other words, housing finance or the ability to get a loan became harder. The water was taken out of the economy. So between 2007 and 2008, housing finance dropped 10%. Property prices or the growth in property prices dropped 30%. All right, so annual change in housing finance and house prices. House prices in 2008, they dropped about 20 to 30%. You know, not everywhere, in, in some key locations. 
So, you know, housing finance dried up 10% um, and property prices came down a big, big way. Now, what happened after the GFC, after the credit crunch was in 2009, 2010, housing finance blew up. So housing finance grew by 40%. What house prices did, what the sponge did was grew by 20%. All right, are you with me so far? So we start to see that there's a correlation between these two things. And then after the GFC, if you were around at that time, for those of us who have been through a couple of cycles, you know, everything came out of the GFC rosy. But then there was like this period from about 2011 to about 2012 or 13, where Europe and, and some other, you know, European economies in the US, they kind of came out of the GFC, but they were still very weak. Like, you know, Greek went into default, Italy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It was a pretty terrible time. Um, so then housing finance came down again. It came down by 20% in 2011, 12 house prices then started easing off as well. So instead of growing by 20% the previous year, house prices, they didn't fall, but they grew not at all, basically. And then you had this period from 2012 to 2000 and about 14, 15, where housing finance grew by 20%. And that is where house prices grew by 10% and 20% consistently year after year after year. That was the housing boom, the previous housing boom, right? And then what happened is that in 2017, housing finance dropped by 10%. Now that is the Australian Prudential Regulator came in and said that, hey, banks, there are way too many investors buying properties. We need to like shut the gate. You know, this is becoming out of hand. We're not going to allow you to loan more than to give more than 30% of your loans to investors. And even then, you can only increase your loan book to investors, even within 30%, only by 10% per annum, 10% per annum. So housing finance shrunk, you know, that the water evaporated out of the sponge and then um, the sponge dried up. So between 2016 and 2019, you saw housing finance really come down 10 to 20 percent um, and house prices also corrected. I'm looking here at my chart by around 10 or 10 or 15 percent on average. OK, now this is the key thing. Now, now we get juicy. So in 2020, housing finance went up. You know, we talked about low interest rates, loose monetary policy. We talked about fiscal policy. We talked about all the government incentives, a new bill, stamp duty concessions, first homeowner grants, blah, 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 job keeper, job seeker, housing finance grew in 2020. So this was last year, the calendar year by 10% and house prices last year grew, you know, well, they grew by you know, between five and 10% in some places more than 10%, but let's just say five and 10%. What's happening right now is if that you, if you forecast well, don't even forecast. You look at right now, the current um, housing finance percentage, it is growing by more than 10%, right? More than 10%, not versus 2017, not versus 2016, versus 2020, which is already a growth year. Housing finance I'm talking about. So the ability to get loans, like pre-approvals, all this kind of stuff, right? Because obviously you need a pre-approval or you need to know that you have borrowing capacity before you start looking for houses. So it's like a leading indicator. And what's happening now is if you 
track the momentum. And, and what I've done is I've looked at some um, multivariate regression. There's only about four or five different um, factors. So I've not really had to, to uh, normalize it for autocorrelation. But if you look at the regression and you pull the current trend of housing finance forward, what you see is that by the end of 2021, this year, housing finance will have risen almost 25 to 30 percent. 25 to 30%. That is more, like this, I'm not trying to create FOMO here, but that is more than it has ever risen in the last 30 years since I, I, I plotted this chart. All right, so housing finance is now rising way, 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 way more than the last 30 years. And I've just demonstrated to you over the last 13 and a half minutes that. In fact, there is a statistically reliable correlation between housing finance and capital growth or house prices. We're talking national. Of course, there's always areas that outperform, underperform, markets within markets. Don't just take this advice and go, you know, put a blindfold on and buy a property. You need to be very focused. But there is a clear correlation, all right? And I, I you know, I'm a statistician. Uh, I studied ec econometrics. This stuff is real. It's not just not making this up. If you pull forward housing finance, by the end of 2021, it is going to be going up year on year by almost 30%. What that means, what that means is that house prices are anticipated to go up by about 25%, by about 25%. Okay, and so what, you're like, okay, well, where'd you get that 25% number? If you regress housing finance versus capital growth or house prices, you get that coefficient where house prices um, go up a little bit more than the percentage growth of housing finance, or when housing finance drops, the percentage comes down, the house prices drop a little bit more. There's a there's a correlation of a coefficient that, that we've been able to produce. So look, looking at that correlation, looking at that coefficient, if housing finance drops, then house prices drop a little bit more than that percentage. Right? But right now, what we're seeing is by the end of this year, housing finance will go up by about 25 or 30 percent. And that, well, sorry, 20 to 25 percent. And what that means is that house prices will also have risen in this calendar year by about 25 percent. Now, they've already risen this year, so I'm not saying they'll rise more, you know, another 25 percent from right now. But from January, by the end of the year, I would not be surprised if house prices went up to a total of about 25%. Now that's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty phenomenal statement, <laughs> statement to make, like it could even be 30%, right? Um, but once again, like if you look at a chart and, and you try to understand what the correlation is, you know, generally speaking, housing finance is a really, really, really good indicator of house prices, agnostic what, to what anything else is doing. Because even if you're saying to me, PK, well, how are people gonna afford this? Housing finance is the biggest indicator of affordability. If they can't get borrowing capacity, which is housing finance, if they can't get the pre-approval, then they're not gonna buy houses. People will only buy if they can afford. It doesn't matter if incomes are increasing in the short term, only matters on how much you can borrow, right? connect with this point like this is a really important point because a lot of people say oh there's no wage growth you know it's hard to save up you know in sydney prices are astronomical people can't afford it people can't afford it people can't afford it but how can people buy houses they can't afford the thing is they can afford them 
And that's because they're getting the requisite or prerequisite loan. And that loan is being dished out to them because they can afford it. Australia has one of the tightest lending policies in the world. Like we're not in, a, in the US where you can issue a low doc loan to a PAYG employee and someone just makes up um, you know, their income. You can't do that in Australia, right? You can't do that for PAYG. You can kind of be a bit dodge and do that for, for ABNs and GST registered businesses, but not for PAYG. And mo most people are employees, they're PAYG. So the fact is that people can afford it and housing finance proves that, right? This is just data just shared with you. Just This is just data, it's not my opinion. So when you correlate housing finance to capital growth, then you start to see these things. And then you're, you're, you're asking me the question, all right, PK, well, you're saying that house prices will have increased by 20 or 30% by the end of the year. Great, well then, you know, well, you're shooting yourself in the foot because then they will come crashing down. Here's the thing. All right, so what's gonna happen? Let me tell you right now, is that there's only ever been three instances where a price boom has been led by owner occupiers or upgraders right like in the last boom um in 2023 sorry 20, um 2013 to 2017 that was led by investors right so property booms don't finish the same way some finish with a huge correction and some finish with a shallow correction the ones that finish with a huge correction those are the ones those are the booms that are led by investors speculation the ones that end with only a small correction, those are the ones that are led by owner occupiers. These are the people who are actually living or upgrading. They're not speculating, it's not an investment. This is the last thing they'll sell if times become tough. So the current boom has been caused by homeowners rather than investors. And what this means is that we can expect prices to stabilize rather than crash. And I've done a whole video on this, but here are three specific examples or three data points or three case studies to prove this point once again. Because I know a lot of you, you know, you might be doomsdayers or you may not be, but you know that people are, they're influencing you, they're stopping you from basically making money in, in the property market. And that's not a good thing, right? Like we're not trying to get a Ferrari or anything. We're just trying to get ahead for our family. So I just want you to have the confidence. And here's the three case studies. So the best way to actually forecast what might happen in the future, you know, next year, the following year, whether there's going to be a huge crash or just a stabilization is actually just to look at what's happened in the last three booms, not chronologically, but in the last three booms that were driven by home buyers, not investors, but home buyers. And let's see what, what actually happened, right? Like, let me not just make this stuff up. Let's actually look at the data. So believe it or not, the last three booms that were driven by home buyers as opposed to investors in Australia occurred at the end of World War I, at the end of World War II, and just before the GFC. All right, so let's, um, let's go through the first one. And I'm not making this up. This is literally the only three times have booms in Australia been led by home buyers. This is the, the, the current one is one, but there's only been three before in this century or the previous century. So in uh, the World War One, when it ended, and um, I think it went from to, uh, 1914 to 1918, it ended in 1918, 1919. So a lot of soldiers kind of returned you know, to start their families, you know, back in Australia, back from Europe and, and things like that. There was a lot of migrants that were fleeing Europe, you know, a lot of refugees that came back from Europe, especially um, because it was just, you know, diabolical over there, just ravaged uh, famine and poverty and things like that. So what that meant was that was a, a population driven boom 
for housing in Australia. And there were severe shortages, right? Supply and demand. And so what happened was that house prices grew by over 50% in just three years. In 1919 and 1920, 1921, house prices grew by 50% in three years. What happened after that? After that 50% increase, they corrected by about 8 or 10%. All right? And then they started going up again. So that was case study number one, a housing boom led by home buyers. The second one was World War II. And surprise, surprise, it was a very similar situation. So once again, Second World War ended, you know, started in, in 1939, ended in 1945. After 1945, similar reasons, refugees, immigrants, you know, the world was really bad place. Um, Australia was relatively speaking unharmed, you know, strong economy, safe, everything like that, everything that we have these days as well. Um, so soldiers returned, uh, migrants, refugees, it was the it was the same sort of story. In fact, this was the biggest boom that Australia has ever seen. House prices tripled in five years. So like in World War One, they grew by 50% in three years. In World War Two, they tripled. House prices tripled, tripled. <laughs> Connect with that. They tripled in five years. All right. So um, once again, it was led by home buyers. And after that happened, house prices corrected from about 1961, 19, hang on, um, 1951 to 1953, they corrected by about 10%. And then they started going up again sustainably based on macroeconomic drivers and microeconomic drivers. And then the third case study, um, the third home buyer boom took place just after the federal government's introduction of the first home owner grant in year 2000. I think that was the first time that a first home owner grant was established by the federal government, you know, making it easier um, for, for new um, home buyers to buy, to buy property, to live. And, you know, that boom basically continued until 2009 in the GFC, which I went through before. And in this boom, house prices doubled in about seven years, or in about five to seven years, six to seven years, you could say. So from the year 2000 to about year 2006, 2007, they, they doubled. And what happened in the GFC, um, even in the GFC, prices only contracted by about 10 to 20%. And then, as I explained before, um, housing finance, they, they, they started growing again. So if you look at these three case studies, um, the biggest contraction was about 10 to 15% after the GFC. Um, and that was because a GFC occurred, right? It, it wasn't just because there was a bubble, that actually something came extra, extraneously um, to burst um, house prices. But if you put that to the side, let's say the GFC didn't happen, then even though there was a price boom from year 2000 to year 2006, there was still only a price correction of 10 to 20%. So let's say the GFC didn't happen, it may have only corrected 10% or less than 10%, much like the World War I and World War II booms. They, there wasn't a crash. So, you know, like, I, I just really want to, this is a long video, but I want you to really understand what happens, right? At the end of each of these booms that were led by home buyers, prices corrected by about 5 or 10%. The GFC meant that it was a little bit more. So right now, we're right at the start of a boom. A boom, if you analyze all booms going back in time, they last about three years or a little bit more than three years in really the climax or, or, the, or the key you know, driving momentum part of the boom. This boom started in the middle of last year. 
We're about a year in. It's not going to end tomorrow, like I've demonstrated by telling you the correlation between housing finance and forward housing finance and house prices. It's not going to end next year either because a housing boom doesn't really ever last just one year. That's never really happened. It, lasts, it will last at least two to three years. And then what will happen is that it won't be a crash of housing prices. Even if something amazing were to happen, like a GFC or coronavirus, you know, version two, looking at the GFC example, housing prices would only come down about 10 to 15%. But in that time, they would have already risen by well over 50%, right? So, you know, I really want you to understand, are you happy to live with a 10% correction if they've already risen by 50, 60, 70%? Right, they've already risen 10% last year. This year, I've just told you that they'll probably rise between 20 and 30%. So that's 40% overall, just using rough math. And then let's say this boom continues for another year, which statistically it is like incredibly likely to do because that's the normal duration of the boom. So um, what's that? 10 plus, uh, let's say, 20 uh, or 30. So that's about 40%. Next year, another 10 or 20%. So we've cracked the 50 mark easily. And then after that, if they crash or... By, they correct by 10%, we can live like that. It's not going to be a crash. So I, look, there's a lot of me rambling, but here's the point. You are at the start of the cycle. You're at the start of the boom, relatively speaking. This year is going to be an incredible year for price growth. It will crack that 20% mark according to that regression analysis that I've shared with you. And even though all housing booms always correct, you know, it's not like a linear sign, they always correct shallow in a shallow way if they are led by home buyers not investors and right now they are it's very unique this is only the fourth boom that has this quality in australian history over the last decade over the last century um, so i want you to take home you know this data i want you to to allow your mind to marinate in it i want you to focus not on what your colleagues are saying your friends or family or what other experts are saying i want you to trust economics i want you to trust data and I want you to trust logic. Um, no one really shares this kind of thing openly because A, hardly anyone is qualified to share it, and B, it takes time to, to do the work. But if you can you know, scratch four or five layers deeper than the average person into the data, then that's really the way to build confidence and make some serious money. So um, guys, hopefully that's been useful. My name's PK, and I hope you guys make a lot of money, whether you're buying to live or buying to invest in this year, next year, and the following year in the Australian property market. Catch you later.